Chad, more than anything, this sermon is for you. Everybody else gets kind of listened in on it, but it's a charge to Chad. And if you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. I grew up in Plano, Texas, and good home, and grew up at First Baptist Church of Plano. And when I was 12 years old, seeing folks go up and get baptized, I talked to my mama and told her that I wanted to get baptized. And my mama was wise enough to explain to me that baptism is a wonderful thing, but baptism does not save you. And she explained again to me the gospel of Jesus and she says that that night I prayed to put my trust and my faith in Jesus Christ. Soon after that, I was baptized, and my growth in my faith really began then when I was 15 years old. Some guys with Student Venture Ministry came in and shared the gospel with our football team and said, hey guys, we're going to start a Bible study. And I showed up at that Bible study on a Friday morning. I thought all the guys were going to be there. There was only two of us. Me, I was a sophomore and a freshman named Craig, and I thought, man, this isn't going to go so well. And uh, Paul, who was leading that study, said, hey, Mitch, can we have Bible study at your house next week? And I said, sure. He said, great, bring some buddies. And so I did, and over the next couple of years, Paul took about 10 of us guys and just built his life into us, um, taught us how to walk with Jesus and the like. And as I was Graduated from Plano and heading off to the University of North Texas, there was a growing desire in my heart that if God would use me in others' lives the way that God had used Paul in my life, I wanted to be in on that. I wanted to be in on that. I got to North Texas and began to be really involved with Campus Crusade for Christ and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and then Denton Bible Church. It's a wonderful church family and a wonderful place to learn the Word of God. And throughout that time, even though I was playing football and that was such a huge part of my life, I was trying to follow Jesus. And I was reading my Bible like crazy and I was reading theology books. I say that I got a, a master, or not a master's, that I majored in business, but that I minored in Bible when I was at North Texas. And people say, I didn't know they had a minor in Bible. I said, well, they didn't. But that's what I was doing with my time. I was longing that God would have something for me. When I graduated North Texas, I signed, a, half, or I signed a, a contract to go to training camp with the Shreveport Pirates of the Canadian Football League. That was when the Canadian League was trying to move down south, and uh, they had opened up a few teams, and I got invited to camp. I was there for a week, and they cut me. And uh, Coach Forrest Gregg was the head coach, and he looked at me across his desk, and he said, do you want to go play arena football? And I looked at him, and I said, no, sir, I don't. I said, I love football, but I love Jesus more, and I've got plans beyond this game. I jumped in my car, cried a little bit on the way home, and then started Dallas Seminary that fall. Throughout my time at, at Dallas, I, I became an intern at Denton Bible Church and then a part-time singles pastor, and then when I graduated in 2000, I came on full-time staff at Denton Bible Church as the young singles pastor. Tara and I got married later that year, and then we began to pray what would be next for us. I aspired, if the Lord would have it, 
to be a lead pastor one day. First Timothy chapter 3, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he aspires to do. And so we began to pray. And an opportunity opened up for an interview out at a church in Tyler, and Tara and I drove out there, interviewed. It didn't go so well. And uh, as we were driving back, Tara had heard a little bit about this incredible, wonderful church up in Little Rock called Fellowship Bible Church of Little Rock. And she said, you know, that was good, and, but it, it, it sure doesn't seem like Fellowship Little Rock. And I, I said to her, we're driving on Interstate 20, I said, baby, I said, we are never going to have an opportunity with Fellowship Bible Church Little Rock. We need to be willing to go wherever God would have us. And about two weeks later, Fellowship Bible Church Little Rock called. And they said, hey, your name's come up. We're looking to plant a church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Would you like to be what they call the directional leader, which is essentially lead pastor? And through that period of time, we decided that, yes, we moved to Little Rock in early 2002 for about five months of training and then on to Jonesboro, Arkansas in May of 2002, and we officially launched Fellowship Bible Church of Jonesboro in October of 2002. I was there for six years, began to sense that maybe God would have something different for me and for our family, and so I stepped down from there on, I think it was May 4th, 2008, and then on May 5th, the very next day, started sending out resumes to some buddies. One of them was a seminary buddy of mine named Jim Hamilton, who was on teaching at Southwestern Seminary's Houston campus. And he had just been to Redeemer in April of 2008. And he knew that Redeemer Community Church was without a pastor, and he passed along my resume. And uh, then throughout the summer of 2008, eventually became the lead pastor here in August. All that to say, it's been an exciting journey as a lead pastor. This October will be 16 years, almost six in Jonesboro, and by October, just a little over 10 here in Katy. And Chad, God has called you as well, Um, called you to salvation and put a special burden on your heart to, if he would will it, to lead and to be a pastor. And um, again, Chad and Dandy started coming to Redeemer. He was part of that Aspire group and was beginning to sense a call to ministry, a desire to go to Southern Seminary. He and I were having lunch over on Jason, in Jason's Deli over on Mason Road. And as Providence would have it, I made a call at that lunch to Jim Hamilton. We were teaching at Southwestern Houston. He was now at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, Chad, I hope you don't mind me telling everybody, Chad had not finished his undergraduate degree. And so usually that means you can't go to seminary, but there are some exceptions. And so I called Jim at that lunch and said, hey, I got a buddy, and he's raring to go. And by the grace of God, he was allowed at Southern, and he has excelled. Dandy has excelled. She almost took as many classes as Chad did over the years while they were there. And again, they moved back to Houston, and my wife and I met with them, and they've been praying, and they've been waiting, and they've just doing what you do when you're wanting to serve the Lord in that way, but doors aren't flying open. But then in God's good time, 
Indian Hills Baptist Church in Silver City, Silver Springs, New Mexico. I got three charges to you, in many ways charges to myself. These are things, if you're listening in, these are things that you can pray for Chad as he ventures out. And there's no better place to go, in my estimation, than 2 Timothy. If you're not familiar with this book, this is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote that we have in our New Testament, and most likely the last one that he ever wrote. Paul wrote 13 letters that we have in our New Testament. This is the last one. He's in prison, and he knows that he's about to die. In chapter 4, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So he can smell death in the air, and he's writing to his young son in the faith, encouraging him to come to Rome just as quickly as he can. He wants to see him one last time, but not merely just a letter to, to urge him to come and see him, but a letter to urge him to faithfulness, to call him up, to call him out, to motivate him, to encourage him, to spur him on in this calling that he had. So, people have often asked me, Mitch, okay, if you, you know, the idea, if you're on a deserted island and you only get to take one book, what do you bring? My Bible. Okay, but you only get to take one book of your Bible. My answer is generally probably Romans. You say, okay, yeah, but what's your favorite book of the Bible? Second Timothy. I just absolutely love it. For one, it's just four short chapters, so that's pretty good. You can read it in about five or six minutes, but it's just filled with truth and love, and grace and strength and hope. Number one, Chad, minister the word, brother. It will not be all that you do, but a ministry of the Word of God, a teaching and a preaching ministry is central to what you will do. You will develop and cast vision, as you said. You will pray. You will meet with visitors. You will lead initiatives. You'll develop groups, ministries, and outreach ministries and missions. You'll do hospital visits. You'll do weddings. You'll do funerals. You'll recruit volunteers and train leaders, and you'll counsel the hurting, and you'll raise money and You'll welcome people into your home. You'll do evangelism. You'll be active in the community. You're going to a small church, so you'll be stacking chairs and putting tables away and doing your best at graphic design and changing light bulbs and updating the website and all kind of stuff. You'll do a bunch of stuff. But don't miss on this one. Most all of that stuff is really good things, if not all of them. But they can become distractions. Again, so many of those things are good things. Prayer, and being with people, and developing ministry, and re recruiting volunteers, and training leaders, and 
this, that, and the other, those things are good and wonderful. So, and this is not a fear that I have for you because I know you, but don't be one of those pastors who buries his nose in his books all week long. It happens. Poke their head out on Sunday and do their thing only to retreat back to the study. That won't be you, but be careful of the other extreme. This is the one that gets me. That you become so, I can't think of a better word, beholden to all of the other things. And the one extreme is spending too much time locked away in your study. The other extreme is not spending enough time. Because Acts chapter 6, we will give ourselves to the ministry of the word and of prayer. Reading God's word and studying God's word and meditating on God's word and pondering its implications for God's people, it is central. If you have your Bible open in chapter 1, Paul says to Timothy in verse 13, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Retain the standard of sound words. Probably what that means is that there was a standard, an apostolic standard of who Jesus Christ was and what he had accomplished and what that mean, meant for God's people and what he called his people to. F.F. Bruce says that it probably at least included three things. This standard of sound words, or in other places it's called the faith. That we contend for the faith. It probably included just the basic gospel of God and man and Christ and faith. That God is great, but we have sinned against Him and Christ has come as Savior and we've respond to him in faith. It probably also included stories and teaching on the words and works of Jesus. That even in these early days, they would have known of the miracles and of the teaching of Jesus and that would have formed the standard of sound words. The treasure or the good deposit that had been passed down. And then it included most likely the ethical teaching of Jesus of how God's people are meant to live empowered by the Spirit. So in chapter 1, retain that. Guard that. In chapter 2, over in verse, well, we can start it in verse 2. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul is calling on Timothy to take what he had been taught, these sound words, this good deposit, and teach it to others. And in verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And over in chapter 3, verse 14, you, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them that from childhood you've known the sacred writings 
which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. Continue in what you've learned, the sacred writings, the God-breathed, profitable scriptures. And in chapter four, verse two, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Chad, you know this, but Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter three that the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. God's people will not get it anywhere else. God has entrusted to the church his word, once for all, Jude says, delivered to the saints. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul calls us stewards of the mysteries of God. Well, this is kind of funny, but there will be pressures on your preaching. How long you preach? Some folks think you're going to preach too long. Others will think you're not preaching long enough. You'll go home scratching your head. To who are you preaching? Are you, are you preaching to God's people or are you preaching to those who may be here who don't have a relationship with Jesus? Are you preaching to the mature in the group? Are you preaching to the immature in the group? Are you teaching to the old? Make sure we've got students in here. Make sure you're preaching to them too. You get, and you'll go home going, I know, I know, I know. Got to do better. The manner in which you preach, you'll get some pressure on that. You don't smile enough. You smile too much. Not enough jokes. Too many jokes. Not enough illustrations. Too many illustrations. Not enough stories. Too many stories. The content of what you preach. Expositions of the scriptures. Maybe you do a topical series, but don't go too long in that topical series. You get the picture. Can sometimes leave you going, ah. But press on, my man. Retain the standard. Guard the good deposit. Be diligent to accurately handle it. Continue in it. Preach it. Secondly, fight for your zeal, brother. Because at times it will wane. Look in chapter 1, verse 6. Now we'll start in verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. We're not sure about this, but we think Paul probably has in mind the last time he saw Timothy. It could have been when Paul was arrested and taken away to Rome and imprisoned. And that last time that he laid eyes upon Timothy, tears. For I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason... Because this sincere faith is within you, brother. 
I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Apparently, something was happening in Timothy's life that he was given over to timidity and the language of kindle afresh. His fire had grown dim. His zeal had waned. And Chad, this will happen to you for any number of reasons. As I reflect back on my own life, probably the the one that is most before you all the time is your own flesh. Right? We've been forgiven of our sins. The power of sin has been broken, but the presence of sin still remains in every one of God's children, and it'll give us all fits. Does it not? And so your own pride will rear its ugly head. You'll become aware of it. Your own greed, your envy for what others have or experience, your own lusts, your laziness, your anger, your own fight to mortify your own sin. And it will discourage you. And Satan will be in your ear. You ain't good enough. God can't use you. You might as well quit now. There's no way God could use somebody who thinks those thoughts or feels those emotions or says that to your wife. Or, 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 or. And your zeal will wane. Fight for it. Sometimes it'll be fruitless seasons. I hope the very, very best for you in Indian Hills Baptist Church. And I'm sure you're going to get there and it's going to go woo for the rest of your life. But it may not. It may not. There will be seasons of growth. There will be periods of no growth. There will be periods of decline. I want you to dream big. I want you to expect great things from God. But as I was pondering that this morning, God just reminded me of James chapter 4. We often apply it to business guys. But it applies to pastors just as well. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. We'll spend a year there. Engage in business. Make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are but a vapor that is here for a little while and then gone. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. The good times keep you excited and thrilled. The harder times can discourage you. And your insecurities will wrap themselves around your neck so tight you think you're going to give in. Fight for your zeal. I'll tell you at least how I think maybe you and I can do it.
And you'll make your mistakes. And you will disappoint over and over again. And you'll be misunderstood and you'll be criticized and you'll get tired and you'll get discouraged. And the fire will grow dim. Unless you and I are better than Timothy, it's going to happen to you and me. But fight for it. Well, how? I think there's a few clues here in 2 Timothy. We've got to move fast. But these have helped me. Number one, remember your God who gave you faith and gifted you. Paul is reminding Timothy, the sincere faith is within you and the gift of God, which is in you. So in those discouraging times, remember what God has done. Remember those who believe in you. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That Paul had been there. And probably the other elders in Timothy's hometown of Lystra. And laid their hands on him. Said, we believe in you. So remember that. Remember the nature of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us in verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. It's a translation, interpretation issue of whether spirit should be capitalized or not. Let's just assume that it should be here. It's inconsistent for the child of God who has the Holy Spirit to be given over to timidity, but rather is to be strengthened, power and love and discipline. Remember the great gospel that has been entrusted to you and to me. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the sake of the gospel according to the power of God. And then in verses 9 and 10, he says more about this gospel, who has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Wow! This gospel is unbelievable. It's the power of God. It saves us. And it's been granted us from eternity past. Revealed in Jesus Christ with the promise of life and immortality. Remember your heroes. Those men, those women who've walked with Jesus through a long time, for a long time, through some ups and downs and hard times and who have kept going. Remember them. Maybe that's verse 6 and maybe it's over in verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Timothy knew who that man was. Paul reminded him that he was not ashamed. And lean into your friends. Later in the book, Paul will say to him, Flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. With those. Don't go alone, Timothy. So minister the word of God. Fight for your zeal. 
And finally, persevere, brother. The baton has been handed. Since Paul handed it to Timothy, Timothy handed it to others who handed it to others who handed it to others who handed it to others. others. And for 2,000 years now, this baton of the gospel, these sound words, this good deposit has been now handed to you. And it's your turn to run and to run with all your might. And as I've looked just through the book over the last couple of days, Paul mentions tears, timidity, suffering, the the threat of turning away from Christ. He's mentioned hardships, entanglements to be avoided, hard work to be done, persecution to be faced, false teaching to be combated, sin to be mortified, attacks to be endured, difficult times will come, a spiritual haze to be ministered in the midst of, and more. In chapter 2, verse 10, he says, I endure all things. In 2.12, if we endure. In verse, chapter 3, verse 16, what persecutions I endured. And then in chapter 4, verse 5, he tells him outright, you be sober in all things, endure hardship. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he told him to fight the good fight. In chapter 6, he told him to fight the good fight of faith. And now at the end of his life, in the end of his words to Timothy, Verse 6, I've already, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. It's a fight. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. I have fought the good fight. And I think in those words, even as he's describing his own having fought the good fight, he's calling to Timothy. You do the same. You do the same. Because in verse 8, he says, In the future there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He's saying, Timothy, this crown of righteousness is not just for me. It's for any and all of God's people. For any and all of God's people. And in particular here, it's for Timothy. If he will stay at it. So minister the word, brother. Fight for your zeal, brother. And persevere. One of the uh, sweetest things that was ever emailed to me it's from a lady in our church, and I, I often remember it. And uh, I pass it on to you, Chad. Mitch, when you feel like leading a congregation is like dragging a grand piano up a mountain, keep pulling. Just remember that one, bro. Persevere. Let me close with this. Every time I preach through 2 Timothy, every time I preach through 2 Timothy, the um, poem Flanders Fields comes to mind. It's a poem about um, 
written in World War I, about soldiers who had died. And John McRae wrote the poem, and here's, here's how it goes. He said, In Flanders fields, the poppies blow. Between the crosses, row on row. That mark our place, and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. So here's a field, the poppies are blowing, and there's crosses where soldiers had died. And there's larks that are bravely singing, but they're scarce heard amidst the guns below. We are the dead. So he's writing as if he's a dead soldier. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. We're dead. Not long ago, though, we lived and felt dawn and saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, but now we lie in Flanders fields. And then still the voice of the dead, take up our quarrel with the foe. To you with failing hands we throw the torch, be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. He's writing as if he's a dead soldier taking this torch and passing it on. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you with failing hands we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with we who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. Again, brother, the torch has been, in God's good providence, passed on to you. Passed on to me. Passed on to all of God's people. And the call is for all of us to stay at it, to persevere, to endure, to not give in and to not give up, to trust God one step in front of another, falling yet getting back up, failing yet getting back up. Fight the good fight, keep the faith. Finish the course. Because not just for Timothy, not just for Chad, but for all of us in the future, there's laid up for you the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to you. Amen? Amen.